Welcome to a supplemental edition of the first episode of Sportsish. I'm Chad Shanks, and if you're looking for the first full episode of this series, you'll want to download the one titled Episode 1, Team Social Media in the Rise of NBA Twitter. But if you've already listened to it and want to hear more from my guest from that episode, then you are in the right place. This is my full conversation with Dwayne Hankins, the Chief Marketing Officer of the Portland Trailblazers, whom I refer to in the full episode as The Godfather, on account of his previous work with the LA Kings. In this discussion, you'll see how he was always ahead of the curve and even now really sees the big picture better than most involved in team social media, much better than I ever did for sure. And if you're interested in the nitty gritty of how teams go about monetizing tweets, then this is the interview for you. And if you want to know the thought process behind doing something completely bonkers and original, there's some of that too. So here is my full conversation with Dwayne Hankins. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm Dwayne Hankins, Chief Marketing Officer at the Portland Trailblazers. I grew up in Chicago um, suburbs down there. So I, um, you know, I, I grew up a huge sports fan. Uh, I was a kid when the Bulls were on that string of six championships in eight years. So I grew up with Michael Jordan and thought that's how it would be always forever. Uh, and it hasn't been that way, but it's been fine. And then I went to school at Iowa State University um, initially for computer engineering and then did that for, I think, a semester and switched to journalism. And uh, and then realized sort of as I was graduating, I would need to find a job and thought sports would be a really great opportunity since it was so influential in how I grew up. And um, PR internships with some minor league teams and the Midwest and then got a job in PR uh, with the Marlins and then my first real job with uh, Minnesota Wild. Um, and so when I was with the Wild, uh, I was there for six years. We, uh, you know, I was started off as more of a publications and designer role. Um, and then as I, as I continued with the organization, we started thinking differently about how we were going to do digital. And at that time, Teams were just starting to use their websites for content purposes um, outside of just selling tickets. And that was the time that Facebook and Twitter became tools for teams to use. And so proposing all of these ideas, um, at first we had you know PR running social media. And then uh, as I started following all the other teams and all the other sports on social media, I saw that there was an opportunity for it to live within the marketing department because in my mind, uh, we just sort of handed it to PR without asking any questions, not just us, but I think all teams did. And it was a way that you could really represent a, a brand's voice in a new way that, that hadn't existed before. And we thought about it the same way, or I thought about it the same way that you think about game operations. When you're inside the arena, the game operations isn't playing it straight. Game operations is, is sort of getting fans excited for the team, and it's a bit one-sided in its approach. And we thought we could do this as well with social media, and we especially th- thought there was an opportunity because no other teams were doing this. Um, and I, we proposed, you know, our team proposed that idea in Minnesota, but but I think there was um, there was more excitement about it from the LA Kings. And so when I started to interview with them and brought up these ideas, they got really excited about them all the way through. Um, I met during my interview process with the COO, Chris McGowan, and I met with the see like the president of the team which was Luke Robitaille and they were super excited about this and and in LA it was it was a challenging market if you're the if you're a, if you're a hockey team in Southern California because 
at the time the Kings hadn't won any championships. And and it was it was there was a ton of competition from the USC and UCLA and the Dodgers and the Lakers and the Clippers and the Angels in some respects. So if the Kings were going to stand out, there was gonna to have to be a way that they were going to do that. And so, you know, these ideas really resonated. And we had been doing it this way for a while. I hired um Pat Donahue, who who now oversees all that for the Kings and does a phenomenal job. Uh and so we, we, you know, we sort of worked together and did all this, and, and people started to notice it around the time we made the playoffs because Pat sent, you know, a famous tweet at the time about um, after we beat the Vancouver Canucks in the first game, which was um, to everyone outside of British Columbia, you're welcome. And the concept there was that we heard from all the fans, from all the other Canadian teams who just didn't like the Canucks, and so Pat thought that was the perfect thing to say and you know kind of went from there and then obviously got lucky because the team played really well and dominated and you know we had found that voice and we were doing it that way and it was great um and so you know again that was the opportunity was that there was a bunch of teams doing that stuff or not doing anything in that space and we saw the opportunity so from there uh my my boss uh in LA, got the president's job with the Blazers, and then I followed him up a few months later, and have been here almost five years. So, how did you get the organization to buy into this approach, especially since there weren't exactly any examples of it being successful that you can point to? Like, did any of them balk at the idea of a an account with personality? You know, no, no one balked at it. I think the way that the way that we I positioned it at the time was um, that. Social media was not about talking to fans. It was about talking with fans. And that concept seems very easy to understand now. But at the time, the people that were running these things didn't quite understand how the, how it worked. I mean, what we were trying to do, well, I think every other team was, and, and so I'll back up a little more. So in LA, we were the king. So the Lakers had millions of followers and the Dodgers had millions of followers and we didn't. And so when we had sponsorship conversations, they were saying, well, you guys don't have the followers. And we would say, let's go a level deeper and show you what our engagement is because our engagement tops these. And so we were measuring engagement while everyone else was measuring followers. And so we were putting content out that we wanted people to engage with. And so that the way to win that argument with, with staff and with folks that didn't understand the, the, the platform was to show them a set of metrics that rewarded that type of behavior, essentially. Yeah, what what were some? Do you remember any specific, you know, fan interactions, media interactions, or stuff that that gave you that kind of confirmation you were you were onto something in those early days? You know, it definitely took the little bit of a lot of faith on that behalf of the executive team at the time. But yeah, I mean, right right away it was, hey, we're going to try this, and then the we'll we'll measure it out and let you know how it comes out. So when we we started creating the voice behind the account, you know, we quickly saw the results of that. The results were, you know, mentions were way up, uh, you know, the hashtag use was way up, things like that on Twitter. And then on Facebook and at the time it was just Facebook, um, you know, we were, we were in the threads having conversations with fans. So it just made, it made for a much different approach. Um, and you saw the results of that happening pretty quickly, which, you know, as you know, if you, if you if you prioritize engagement above all, 
And again, I know this stuff sounds easy now, but uh, if you prioritize engagement above all, that's how you're going to build your audience and your fan base. Yeah, and um, so the when you you say developing the voice of the brand and stuff like that, I mean, I, I'm curious as how much of it is a conscious decision versus you know kind of an extension of you and Pat and your personalities that just kind of came through whenever you just let it fly. Yeah, Pat and I are very much the same person, so I think there's definitely some some of our personality that was in that. But it was also, um, it was also just what it was also what we knew the LA Kings brand to be, and so we knew that we could do it. I mean, that same voice wasn't going to work once we got to Portland because in Portland we're not the kid brother of all the other teams. In Portland, we are the only team really outside of the Timbers, and so um, it 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 just it really depended on what the brand sort of statement was for us and. You know, as I look back, the Kings brand was comfortable being what it was, which was what it was. And the, the Blazers brand, obviously very different. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the transition into the NBA, I'm, I'm curious, what was the um, the NHL's response, like from a league level when you guys were like, I remember the one that got a lot of run was about the when you're in New Jersey saying like, what else is there to do besides, you know, pump your fists in the air? Like, I know I'm not getting it verbatim, but you know, were they, did they come down on you guys and say, Hey, don't, don't mock other teams or fan bases or were they, were they kind of cool with what you guys were doing? Again, I, I was lucky to be uh, protected from any of those conversations. If they were happening, we just have full support from um, Chris McGowan, our, our, Luke Robitaille and Tim Lawicki, who was the head of AEG at the time. So if those conversations were happening, we were not told, hey, uh, you know, cool it or, or bring it down. We were told to, um, to, to engage with our fans. And um, again, I, I think it was all in jest and, and, and sort of meant to be playful and fun. And we were able to, to showcase that it was bringing results that, that we were, uh, being measured against, right? Yeah. What do you? Th I mean, I'm, I'm I'm getting off topic a little bit for what I intend to talk about, but like, do you think? So I think of that New New Jersey thing. Like, if you did that today, if a, a team did that today, like it would be a story on Mashable, you know, saying, you know, the LA the LA Kings are trolling all of New Jersey or the Kings hate New Jersey New Jersey people would be all upset and stuff like that. I mean, do you think that the approach that you took back then, would it even, would it even work today in the same way? Or do you, do you have to be more careful just with how people respond to social that they, they didn't respond back when you were with the Kings? Yeah. I mean, in my mind, so today I don't think because there's not that advantage any longer because now you have all of the teams doing not all but most of the teams doing it this way where they now have personality and now they add snark we actually don't want to do that anymore because there's no more advantage in that now it's just now you're just stirring it up to stir it up right so i think it would be received differently because twitter has become such a different place um you know you can you can you can think about every industry whether it's sports or the government or, you know, you name it, it's Twitter's become a very different place. And I don't think that 
if it were the way that it is now, we would have the same approach. I mean, as an example, yeah, so, so as you... an example to this, you know, like we did the opposite, which was on Valentine's Day, we sent out a bunch of a bunch of Valentine's Day cards to all the other teams that were friends. Right? Yeah, yeah. Saw Just that. to sort of combat that yeah, whole that thing. Great. Yeah, so that is that because I wonder if I was in the game right now, like my every approach I did obviously wouldn't probably wouldn't be a good idea. But, you know, how do you guys approach now with just the the social media landscape that has just changed so much, even within the last, you know, two, three years? I mean, what if snark isn't going to work, if it's if every team is doing kind of a variation of what you guys we're one of the first to do. I mean, what, what do you do now to, to stand out? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's not actually that you have to work harder because you can still display a ton of personality. And if you want to go with the humor route, you can still display a ton of humor, but you don't have to do it at the expense of other teams and other players and, and, you know, making fun of something. I think, I think, and I think you can have snark without doing that as well. And so, um, it just requires you to think a little harder and work a little hard, but it's all still very much there. Um, you just you just can't go to that low hanging fruit, easy place of of knocking another player, or another team. Yeah, because I know you guys got into a little hot water with the Chandler Parsons right. airball stuff. I mean, is I'm. I'm not making a value judgment either way because, you know, I'm, I tend to side on the, the side of people are way too sensitive about things, but is, I mean, that's something you guys have to take into account now that anything you put out there, players, owners, all those kinds of people will respond to and get upset about. Whereas, you know, when I was first starting in 2011, that was just, wasn't fathomable, right? That you, the team accounts have a power now that they didn't have back then. Is, am I am I reading too much into that, or is that what you've seen as well? No, I mean that's that's definitely true. I mean, you know, in that particular instance, you could have never predicted that Chandler Parsons would respond to our tweet after the game, which would then get CJ McCollum to respond to his tweet and cause sort of an, a bigger firestorm than existed. But yeah, I mean that's the risk that you take, as you know all too well. Um, <laughs> it's like you have to be able to set up. Yep. You know, you have to agree with your marketing team and your executive team on what what is the field of play, what are the parameters, and what will we allow to happen. And let's agree on what that is so that if we get into a situation where we want to have a conversation of, you know, hey, should we send this or should we not send this, which is an important thing to, to think about before you send something, right? And, and you go back to those parameters and say, you know what, this is heat of the moment and we really want to send this, but we sort of we made an agreement in the less heated moment that we wouldn't, so we're not going to do it, or we are going to do it, right? So I think it's setting that, those things up because when you're ultimately when you're the social media person, you have a ton of responsibility on your shoulders. We can't go through and approve every single you know, social media post, but we should have an order of operations for how we're gonna how we're gonna operate and what it's going to look like, and then talk about the ones that we think are close and. And that's the way we've we've implemented it um, now, and it's been and it's been really really helpful to to sit down and ha- be able to have that conversation. So what is what is the process for you guys now? Because the other guys I've all talked to have been on the um, 
you know, the actual execution side, not as much as the the management side. So are you guys are you guys all on a Slack channel together? And if someone does someone just pitch an idea and say, hey, I think this would be funny. And then people talk it out or, you know, what's your process to going from idea to either rejection or approval? Yeah, it's it's a Slack or a text message. You know, this summer we did um and we traded the rockets for cash considerations and that became a big thing. We had a bit of a debate about that um, and a conversation to say, well, what are the positives, what are the negatives? And ended up getting it to a good place. But but yeah, I mean, ultimately, we get together, we sort of gut check it with each other. If it's really something that I I just think I can't make the, this call, then then I'll I'll ask the president of the team uh, and, and then he'll help sort of guide us from there too, because he has some sense, you know, you, you never know, especially for those folks that are out there executing, you never know what the, what the internal sort of conversations are, or conversations between other teams are like, right? So, um, yeah. there could be, you know, there could be, and making this up, but let's say there's a revenue sharing conversation happening at the league level where our team disagrees with another team. And our social media person would have no insight into that, but but our president does. And so that's why it's always good to gut check with him and say, you know what, this is a team we're having some, some questions about and, and, and tough conversations with. Let's not call them out on social, right? Yeah. Was that was the uh, cash considerations one, which I, I thought was absolutely brilliant, by the way. Was that one that you had to go all the way up to the top and get their blessing to post? No, no, we didn't. Um, we, we made the call. Um, I did tell our president when it posted because you could tell that something was going to start escalating, right? And so when something starts becoming yeah. a viral situation, I always want to let him know so he's not caught off guard. Um, but, but yeah, we don't, we don't have to do that with everything. And even, you know, we, remember, go ahead, sorry. sorry. Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Oh, no, no, finish, finish your thought. Yeah, I mean, even, you just, sometimes you just don't expect things to take off the way that they do. It was a couple of weeks ago, maybe. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, believe, believe me, I know. So, so I think the best thing you can do in those situations is, is let everybody know as soon as you know, because you know right away. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very quickly. Um, well, do you remember a point or the a little bit of a process of going from the point to where you're just putting out a bunch of stuff to entertain the fans to the point where now you are you do have the eyes of your entire organization on you? Because I remember up until almost the end of my tenure with the Rockets, it still seemed like no one in the organization cared that much what I was doing um, or paid that much attention. And I've talked to different guys and have seen seen it kind of run the spectrum, you know, as far as team involvement or team interests, you know, from the business side and the, what social's doing. Like what, like where did you see that, that shift kind of come? Because it seems now every team is very much well aware of the power of their social channels. Yeah, I think it was really, really gradual. I mean, I can remember back... In 2008, when I was trying to convince our executive team at the Wild that we should have a Twitter account, and you know now, now you go forward to now, and it's just it's become so gradual. And I think where the inflection point is is just how much money. I think honestly, it's the money that we're able to make off of social media and the revenue that's tied to it. So if you include both tickets and sponsorship, 
it's become a pretty healthy business item or line item on our on our on our you know on our spreadsheet. It's it's bringing in a, a big amount of money, and so with that, I think um, it takes it takes on a bigger magnifying glass or, or bigger scope than than it did previously. And then secondarily, I think you know you've seen. You've seen how important it is for a brand to have a really strong identity and an identity that is, you know, you see a lot of activism going on in, you know, I know I'll get to this point and it makes sense, but, you know, when you have companies deciding what they're going to do for their, their gun laws or, you know, Starbucks, who's always been known to be, uh, you know, a very, very much an activist position. You don't want to expose yourself to situations where, you know, whether it's you have no idea that this this social media post is going to incite this, but but you have to be really careful about that because you don't you don't want to create a negative brand impression based on something that could be seen as, you know, anything that's racist, sexist, misogynist, whatever. You just don't want that to go through. And I think what you're seeing now is. Uh, you really need to be able to trust the people that you're putting in charge of your social channels to sort of understand the temperature and the landscape. Of everything. Yeah. Are, do you think, are you definitely more cautious now than, than you have been in the past or is it more just, do you think things through a little bit more? I mean, how, what's your, your mindset for anything that could be potentially controversial compared to, you know, three, four years ago? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I'm less cautious. I just, I think I'm more, I'm more just, in my mind, it's not, it's not the same opportunity that it was five years ago. Five years ago, when no team was doing this, we saw a way to exploit and take advantage of a situation that no one else was taking advantage of. Now, everyone across every industry is really good at being snarky and negative. And so we're just not going to play in that space as much, not because we have more eyes on us, but because it's not original anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, no, no, it makes complete yeah. sense. And like, I feel kind of bad as being one of the people that kind of champion this, that voice in the early days. And now when I get on Twitter and see how many different companies, teams or whatever, like everyone's taking that approach. And I like, I'm kind of sick of it. Right. You know, I'm kind of like, you know, just, just stop. I think it, I definitely think it's running, run its course, but I don't exactly have an idea yet of what the, what the next thing is going to be. But I, th I think you kind of hit on a little bit about, you know, with your talking about, how powerful it's come in ticket sales and your, the sponsorship aspect of it. I mean, it, it's a straight, straight up revenue generator now. And I think you have to approach things a little differently um, with that being a part of it. Um, how much, how much of a t percentage of ticket revenue, I don't need an exact figure or anything, but I know Portland is known for just selling out almost every game. Like, do you move a large amount of tickets on social? Yeah, definitely. Um, we've shifted our advertising budget uh, a ton over the last two years, and really have moved it over to Facebook and Instagram. And and that's the thing that's such a challenge too. It's really hard. I think it's really hard to get 
your social media managers to understand the value across the platforms. I love Twitter. I think Twitter's phenomenal for short news updates and just sort of trade deadlines and sports leagues or, or during games. There's nothing like it. But the audience and the way that you can monetize that audience is, is still something Twitter's trying to figure out, clearly. I mean, they, they will tell you the same thing. But Facebook and Instagram... Yeah. Facebook and Instagram, there's so much power in their ad platform, and they've definitely dialed in and figured it out and pushed it. So there's so much opportunity for revenue generation on those platforms. But it's so hard to explain that to people that work in social media because the instant gratification that they get from the Twitter mentions, right? I mean, it's so hard to get people to understand the value of the other pieces of social media because it doesn't come with the instant notification instant gratification dopamine hits that exists on Twitter. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's addicting. Yeah. It's so, it's so addicting. So is your, is your, is your budget now for digital advertising for tickets, you know, more or on par with what you're spending on more traditional like TV, radio print spots? Yeah. We spend more than half of our budget on digital and more than half of that digital budget on social where it used to be on you know display or retargeting or, uh, you know, search. Search is still a big piece, but not not it's not as big as uh, social. That's for sure. Yeah, and how much of a revenue increase have you seen in recent years from the the sponsorship side? Because I know my last year, I saw I could see a dark cloud coming to where it just seemed like sponsorship was going to take take away everything that was great about yeah. that I loved about doing my doing my job. And now look, you know, looking at team team accounts now it seems every team has you know four or five different sponsored posts they have to put up in in every game i mean i may be exaggerating or maybe not but you know how is that how has that landscape changed here in in the last couple of years yeah i think i mean we've seen increases um gosh i mean from when i first started we've tripled our advertising or not advertising our sponsorship revenue in social and digital um I think, again, it's a challenge. If you do it the right way with the right approach and you have um, and you have a really good relationship with your sponsorship team and partnership team, you're going to hit it out of the park most of the time. I think one of the things that we, we still struggle with is we don't, I don't want us to think about content as, hey, there's the content that we post and then there's the content we have to post for sponsors. Ultimately, those two things can be the same. If there's, if there's room for dialogue to get to a place where that content is going to both be engaging for our fans and help sponsors, it's not easy and it's not 100% of the time we get that right. But just the mindset of thinking that they're two different things, I think it, it can trip you people up. Yeah, how do you handle conversations with the, with the sponsors who, from my experience, always have a different idea of what they want posted you know than than what you think is best you know how do you how do you have that conversation with them and try to you know win them over to your way of thinking you know knowing that a certain way would would create more engagement with your audience you know how do you how do you break that to them we're able to show them the metrics because the sponsor wants um as an example the sponsor is going to want uh lead generation or a brand awareness. So those are some examples of what they might want. Well, if we 
have previous examples that work, and they, and sponsorship allows us to do this, then the results of those things, if they're done correctly, have way more, have way better results than than the posts where they drive. And we we report on these things uh, almost daily, so we know how a, a campaign or a co-branded campaign with a partner is going. And the ones that win out are the ones that are on brand. It just happens to work that way. So, um, you know, we'll let we'll let partners have a little more leeway in places like Instagram and Facebook because we can always do dark paid posts. And in fact, anything that's a sponsorship post these days is a dark post um, because we're just not going to post anything organic that's uh, that's got that asks the fans to do anything. We, we put our own posts on there as paid, even if there's no partner, because if we're asking the fans to sign up for a contest or do something that's for the, just for the Blazers, we know it's not going to go as well as, as an organic post. Yeah. Has, yeah. How much has that aspect of it changed your approach? Because it's, you know, I went from the Rockets who had, you know, a massive reach to stat news which was startup and we had to build from the ground up and you know you just didn't get the organic reach and it seemed like we got punished for that and as a result you have to end up paying for everything which is maybe what they what they want in the first place you know but how have you how have you adjusted to the social um, networks really adapting more of this you know we choose who sees your content type of type of thing is is that one of the main reasons your budget has has shifted more to this area you know how because i'm at more just asking advice yeah this yeah no i, I see what you're saying it's it. it's um i think um sports teams sit in a really funny place on the on the spectrum right so we're not we're not selling tide so so in a lot of ways i understand why tide has to pay to get their message i'm not picking on tide but i'm just saying as a as a company that's selling a product uh, and that's that's it. They have to work really hard to think of great content to sell their product. Then on our, but on the sports team side, our content is is highly sought out anyway. It's a last second shot by Damian Lillard. That's going to get sought out anyway. And so the question becomes, how much should we have to pay to, for fan, for our content to get seen when we're what we're providing to your platform is the reason that people go there. You know, that's the challenge. So I think we sit in an interesting place as a sports franchise. And so I, I don't mind. I, we'll, we'll pay as long as, as, it, as, as it keeps working for us. I mean, we're seeing easily 10, 12, 14, 15 to 1 return on investment. I mean, there's not another platform uh, that, we, that we are on that, that has that kind of return. So I think for us, it makes a ton of sense. Um, when you're a smaller business, I do think, I think you just kind of have to read the tea leaves. And I, we talked, um, you know, we talked to some folks in the last week about this, but Facebook telegraphs what they want you to do. Right now, they're putting a ton of investment in Facebook Watch and a ton of investment in their group's product. So if you want to, if you really want to get engagement, just do what they're going to put their, their time and energy in and build groups. And, and watch that explode. Maybe you build one for each league or whatever, and then have content that's on Facebook Watch because those are the things that they're they're putting emphasis and priority on. Um, it's a challenge. I mean, it gets frustrating, right? They they sort of get to change the rules whenever they want, but that's the nature of them owning the platform. And you know, we've seen a ton of our web traffic move off of 
our site into these social platforms. And so kind of have to kind of have to make it work. Yeah, the like the team website was still the king when I first started, and even by the time I by the time I was out, it was already starting to become an afterthought. I mean, is how much has that changed in the last three years? Is the team website even even a priority anymore? I mean, it's still it's still incredibly important uh, from a, from a sponsorship perspective, from a ticket sales perspective, and even some of our uh, best content still is found on our on our web. And the reason for that is sort of all of the the pixel tracking and the things that we can do to understand where fans are in the customer lifecycle. And so it's still important to get people there as a destination. Um, but yeah, it's hard to get, it's way harder to get people there. And, it, and in the three years probably since you've been doing it, it's gotten even harder. Yeah, I bet. Um, another one thing I was curious about kind of jumping to a different subject is how, um, like you personally went from, you know, transition from more of a creative role to now it seems, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, more of a managerial kind of overseeing a lot of the creative staff role. Like what, you know, how did you personally make that make that transition and how did your your past influence what you're doing now with with the Blazers? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So. I, I mean, I still think I get to be really creative in my role, which I'm, I'm excited about. So there's there's still plenty of that that gets to, to happen. Um, a lot of, uh, I mean, it's, it's different. It's a challenge. I mean, you, you're not always, um, things don't always get done the way you would exactly do them. But that's, that's sort of anything that anyone who manages people struggles with. So for that, from that aspect, I don't think, I don't think it's that, that much different than anyone else, but it, it has been, um, I think what's been fun about it is digital is something that I had known really, really well for many for the years that I did it. And now it's been fun to be able to take on these other departments like game ops and like marketing and like creative services and like our broadcast and take the things that I know from a digital perspective and be able to apply those things into those very traditional formats. And that part's been really, really fun. Yeah. I def like, I personally see that kind of the digital approach or even just the digital assets in general, kind of not taking over. It's a strong word, but just kind of becoming more ingrained with definitely more of the traditional media points. Like in, do you kind of see that happening in the future? Like I, I ask you to put your Nostradamus hat on because, you know, you're credited with kind of seeing the way social was going to go before anyone else. Like, what do you, what do you think is is next for it? Is it, is it going to remain anywhere close to what we see now? Or are we going to uh, another leap in the future? And and granted, I know I'm asking you to predict <clears throat> how technology goes, which is you know no one ever likes to answer that question, but. Um, like what? What are you thinking? Where this is headed? Yeah, yeah, geez. Um, you know, I I can tell you what we've done to prepare for where I, where I think is happening, and that's you know I think I think Instagram is a phenomenal product uh, from a social media perspective. It takes out it takes out some of the some of the knee jerk and some of the uh, um, maybe hype that that can that can happen when it's Twitter, you know? So Twitter is a place where people put sometimes their immediate reaction to things. I often speak, then think, and so I know exactly what that's like. 
and which is why I don't say as much on Twitter anymore. But Instagram, it just requires, the platform just requires you to be more thoughtful about your approach because it's about the visual. And so, you know, we hired a phenomenal photographer, Bruce Ely, from, from the Oregonian, who's shot the Blazers for years and, and made him an employee because he's just such a phenomenal photographer. And, and we realized that you can't just have the social media guy use his camera phone to, and, and count on him to, to get great creative imagery. We should actually have a professional do this. So that's one of the things that we've done. You know, I, I do think video in the long run is going to take over, I guess, everything. And so how are we preparing for that? What kind of, what kind of skills and staff should we be hiring to, to make sure that we're able to quickly produce really great content that's going to work for the web or work for social? and get people's attention. So I think that's that's sort of where my mind is thinking that it's gonna go, and that seems to be where it's going. So, you know, the, are we set up the right way? The questions that we're asking now are, are we set up the right way? Do we have the right staff? Do, what skills do we need to add to, to take advantage of, of this process, the way that it's going? Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you there. Um, do you see, when you look at how Twitter especially has evolved over your time in sports. Um, like when you saw, like if you ever saw like jackasses like me <laughs> kind of using the approach that, that you, that you made famous, like do you, did you get like a little bitter and angry that everyone just kind of adopted what you were doing? Or did, did you see it as a, as a point of pride that, you know, that your, your approach is the one that kind of everyone jumped on board with? I, I don't, I don't think it's I, either. I think it, I think it was just great that it's, I mean, definitely not pride, but also definitely not, not angry that, that it was copied. I think that's ultimately just where that was exciting for it to go because now teams have such a better, great way to interact with their fans. And, you know, it used to be that titles, you know, this, it used to be the titles of press releases with a link onto the site to read the full press release. And that was the extent of it. So now that it's uh, emojis and, and gifts and and personality, I think it's so great for sports. Um, you know, I think I don't think I was the you know we I don't even think we were the first people to think of it. We were just the first people that were allowed to do it, right? So as yeah, maybe we we had the best luck convincing executive staff that it was a good idea, but someone else would have done it eventually and. Um, and it's good. I think the thing that's most exciting for me is that other teams, um, executives, staff understand the value of social and, and let those people who are really good at it do it without any strings. That's what I think is great. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that kind of leads to my next question. I want to ask you is, you know, the, someone who's overseeing the people who are kind of executing this social. Um, one thing that was very obvious in my time there, and then from talking to the guys I've talked to for this, that the the turnover rate in sports social and just sports in general is, you know, kind of high. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, you know, from anecdotal experience, it's pretty high turnaround because the job is kind of brutal. You know, it can the hours, the the stress, the pay, they can all they all lead to kind of high turnaround rates. And if this if the job is going to continue to rise in importance, which, you know, we 
I think we both think it is, you know, how, how can managers like yourself or even higher up in teams, you know, what can they do to make sure that this is a position that a, you can attract the best talent that, you know, you're not just having to rely on, um, people straight out of college and people that don't have as much experience and, you know, how do you keep those talents? You know, do you think teams in the league, is that, is that something that's even on their radar right now? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's, we've, we've had just in my time here, we've had three or four different people running social. And I think what it's taught me is that you really can't have one person you can't put the responsibility of being the voice of the organization on one person. You can't. So, um, and what I mean by that is you just need to have multiple people involved. You need to decide what your voice is going to be as an organization and then make sure that everyone understands that and, and does that voice. And so we've, we've structured our department in a very different way this year where we have digital, but we have split it to a content team and that content team is in charge of you know, what what it sounds like, everything content-related, but that content is across the spectrum and includes game entertainment content, it includes broadcast content, it includes all of those things. And then we have our digital innovation team, which is really about measuring and understanding the performance of our content so that we can change it going forward. So we're not, I guess the way we're getting away from that is we're not putting all of that on one person. Because when I, you know, when I was with LA, it was the same thing. It was me and Pat, and we had to do everything. And what's happened in the last five years, six years, is that, you know, now teams have to do mobile apps. Uh, now teams have to do um, <laughs> five, six different social media networks. They're also in charge of working with sponsorship to come up with the right activation. So, so it just can't be on one person anymore. And so. You know, we, we are going to look really hard for people that know how to monetize it the right way and have a great personality and are smart. Uh, that's that's our goal. Um, and understand where to invest their time because that's there's no never gonna not there's never gonna be enough time to do everything that needs to get done, but what are the things that are gonna have the most impact to the business? And we're gonna look for those people to lead the way and then we're gonna break up the duties so that people are, are doing things that are their strength. But I guess, yeah, to answer it more succinctly than how it started, we just can't put the pressure of all of that onto one person anymore. I don't think any team can. Yeah, and that was, there was a lot of people, I think myself included, in the, the early days of NBA Twitter that, that kind of served that role. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 tough. It's really, really tough. And um, I think a lot of the guys I talk to that end up, leaving you know the it just it gets to you and you never get to see your family you never mm-hmm. um you know get to relax like we joked about earlier the off season like there's it the longer i was there the le- the shorter the off season seemed to get with summer league and free agency and all that kind of stuff and you know it's it's something that i think people unless you've been in the job don't understand when you when you complain about it and people say but it's the great, that sounds like the greatest job in the world. And I'd be like, it is, that's why I'm still doing it. But mm. I, I still want to roll over and die right now. Yeah. Um, that wasn't really a question more than yeah. was, uh, me just reflect me reflecting on the, on the past. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, you're I working, kind of the point of, you're working all 82 games and 
and and then beyond that, anytime anything else comes up, you know, you're you're constantly checking the social media streams to make sure that nothing uh, crazy is happening, right? And we also have and manage our concerts and events, so we also do the social media for those. And so it's a it's a huge job, which is why it's just unrealistic to expect that one person could could pull it all off. Um, and but but the way that you can get access to more resources is by showing that you can make money off of it, right? And doing it in, in the right way. And so that's what we've been able to do is been able to add staff and 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 sort of and compensate people the right way because we've been able to turn uh, turn this into our true revenue department. Yeah. Well, it's, um, I know I've had quite a bit of your time, so I'll start to wrap it up. Um, do you have... Do you have a personal favorite memory of like you know something that you've that you've done that you've created or just a, a favorite moment in your time with the with the wild the kings the the trailblazers anything stick out to you as you know hey that that was a good time yeah we had so much fun during the Stanley Cup playoff run um, and the one that sticks out to me is you know we kept. we had never been on the local news stations before because again we were the LA Kings. And so they would be using yeah. the wrong logos or the wrong, you know, they, they, they would use the Sacramento Kings logo. They would show the Sacramento Kings mascot. And so we put together an infographic of like, here's what we are. This is our logo. Here's our team. And, you know, that was really fun and interesting. And then later on, as we got to the Stanley Cup final, we did a really cool execution that, that was sort of set up to punk the media. Um, and what we did was uh, had... Uh, one of our camera people shoot really raw sort of amateur footage of the Hollywood sign from a couple of different angles and shoot it sideways so it looked like it was on a cell phone and, and whatnot. And then we went back and digitally added the Stanley Cup to the Hollywood sign. So, so, um, so these five or six different angles had the Hollywood sign. Then we worked with... Um, an outside company to find some some influencers that were that were not news outlets or blogs, but people that had reasonably big followings, but were normal people, and um, and and found those folks. And then we kind of let them in on the secret and said, "Hey, we're going to send you this video footage. Do you mind posting it to your you know to your social account and say, oh my gosh, you know the Hollywood sign has the Stanley Cup on it.' So." We do this, you know, it comes out in spurts, and then we had, you know, we just, the media thinks there's a, a holographic version. This is like right after the Michael Jackson thing, so the media thinks there's a holographic version. We didn't tell anybody, so even our mascot, who's amazing, it's a good, good guy, he's driving down to Hollywood to just like see if he can see it, and then he's going to get in the costume, and it was just all made up. So it was it was awesome. It was just really, really fun to 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 have a coordinated social thing that, you know, um, was a, a, you know, fun, didn't harm anybody in the end, and then be able to bring our fans in to sort of help us out. They were so, they just thought it was the coolest thing in the world to help us sort of do that. So I think that's probably my favorite wow. one. I feel super lazy. <laughs> I never, I never went to that link to try to, to try to do anything. That's great. Um, well, what about, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about, you know, working in working in sports or particularly working in, you know, the role in, in digital and social media? 
Man, that's that's a tough one. I think, um, you know, I, I've worked in sports my whole career, and, and it's been awesome, and it's so unpredictable and unscripted and so much fun. Um, I think I think you hit it earlier, which is, I think people, this the job is just it's just it's it's not going to be a forty hour a week job because of all the games, because of all the events. And also just because of how much passion that you're going to have for the job because it's sports. Uh, so, so I think that while it is fun and it is great, like you really do have to find time to decompress and and get um, and get inspired and learn from other industries because we get caught up so much in doing doing the reactive, and that's our jobs, right? We're we're reacting to what's happening on the on the field, the player, the court, and then. And then, um, and then having to try to put that in the best light, but it also helps to be proactive and and think through strategies and think through how you're going to be ready for when that moment happens to do things differently, and then understand the shifting uh, industry trends. It can't be just sitting back and 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 recording what's happening. Yes. Yeah. No, I love it. All right. Is there? Is there anything else I should be asking you that I'm not, or so, something you think that's important that we haven't that we didn't touch on? No, hopefully you have a lot of good stuff to work with. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah I think, no, this was great. Yeah, it was good. And that's it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed hearing me talk to Dwayne as much as I actually enjoyed talking with him myself. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at the handle at Dwayne Hankins and check out the other full interviews if you haven't already. Once again, I'm Chad Shanks, and thank you for listening to this supplemental edition of the first episode of Sportsish.